welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. This episode was in celebration of the Chosen Brew's fourth birthday live at the Prince Alfred in Port Melbourne with a very special guest, the newly installed president of Pink Boots Australia, Tiffany Waldron. You'll, you'll just tell that it was so much fun and so enjoyable to record. And talking to Tiff about beer, you just learn so much just by osmosis. Hopefully you do too. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Shows and Brew Beer Podcast, live from the Prince Alfred Hotel in Port Melbourne. My name's Ian McNally, and with me is Tiffany Waldron. Hi, Tiff. Hello. Now, um, we're here to talk through the six beers that changed everything. But before we do, we are here live with some of our friends, some of them. <laughs> some of our friends, some of our frenemies. Yeah, look, it's, we're in a, a, a fairly tight room. We um, are. It's cozy. It's hot. I mean, it is like, what, 20... It's 29 degrees outside. What can you tell the temperature from your watch? Yeah. That is lost on the it audio uh, format. So that is very, very <laughs> impressive. Um, Get lunches yeah, yeah. coming out. <laughs> yeah, we've got... This is coming truly out. live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Tiff, we are here to talk through the six beers that changed everything. Um, but first of all, uh, congratulations are in order because Pink Boot Society in Australia took the brave step to vote an American president. <laughs> you know, I hadn't considered it that way. Yes? Yeah, look, yes. what does the president of Pink Boots, what's, what's your responsibility? That's a great question. Because my, <laughs> my idea of what a president does or is or was has changed in the last four years, so <laughs> if you can... It's also really fair. Um, listen, nothing of what Trump does, I can assure you of that. <laughs> um, so, w- Was he a competitor to be Pink Boots Society you have president to, as well? You know, identify as female or non-binary to become a member. So no, because I think he would never even probably use the word non-binary. So. He's prone to lying, though. So, um, But we'll, <laughs> we'll move on from Trump. Uh, more about your presidential role do people have to call what do they refer to you as <laughs> so it's funny at Ms. work president they or? occasionally call me madam president at work but it's usually just when they want something okay. uh yeah no definitely not it's just a small part of what i do and really it's just that i have a board of amazing people that help me make things happen because i couldn't do anything without the rest of the board i can assure you of that so when you say it's a small part of what you do you don't take it very seriously no i I definitely take it very seriously uh but it's just sort of one thing that i do i suppose there's more than just that in the beer industry that i do well the broader question what is pink boots for those uninitiated why does it exist where does it come from um, and, and what's its role in going to be in 2021? That's a great question. So Pink Booch is an international organization that supports women in the beer industry through empowering and education. And I think also through networking and just providing opportunities to meet other women and see what else you can do. And in Australia, we started it just... Nearing on nine years ago now, we started 
pulling together our own Pink Boots chapter. So started in the U.S. by Terry Farndorf. So she kind of realized that maybe not all the women in the beer industry knew each other and so found a way to start to connect them together through Pink Boots. And in Australia, we kind of started as Women of Beer, which I wasn't a part of because I didn't work in beer then, but I certainly was hanging around with all of them, hoping to one day work in beer. And then when Jane Lewis, who's the founder of Two Birds Brewing, met Terry, she kind of came back and she was like, so, I think we should set up a chapter of Pink Boots here. And we did. And uh, I think we quickly became maybe even a little more organized than the much larger organization. So it's taken us a long time to really get to a point where everything's fully organized and it kind of runs as its own business almost. Um, so yeah, so it's it's actually really exciting. We've got about 400 connections through Pink Boots Society in Australia now, and we've just sort of rolled out the full proper paid membership model. So that kind of started on October 31st, and there's a lot of things that we're working on now. So we're kind of rolling out our own scholarships in Australia, on top of the ones that we've been running for a few years, and we'll hopefully have even more stuff in the new year to be able to share with everybody. Because that's one of the things I think, you know, looking from the outside in, Pink Boots do particularly well, which is actually make a tangible difference. It's not a symbolic organization. It's there to actually give scholarships, push people along, uh, you know, make those connections and actually make a material difference to people on the ground is that fair to say yeah definitely so like one thing we're working on right now is like a mentoring program so we can connect some of the more experienced women with some other women who are just joining the industry or want to ask questions so hopefully we can roll that out in the new year as well as some scholarships based in the leadership side of things so seeing more women step up in the wider beer industry into leadership positions so we're trying to you know we're helping to empower and educate both at the same time so we can start to encompass, you know, people in brewing and marketing and sales and all the different aspects of beer, not just women who brew. Makes a lot of sense. Now, um, one of the other things, Pink Boots is obviously fresh in our minds because you're newly installed as the president. I keep, I like saying that. It's just so, <laughs> it's very grand, isn't it, to say you're the president of something. It, I is, mean, it doesn't feel real to me, that's for sure. No, no, uh, I hope it stays that way because if, if you do start settling into it, then Then it's definitely should, time to step yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to have a talk. Um, so <laughs> one thing I'm interested in as well is the various roles that you've worked in in beer, which is quite a um, littered s- resume. Is that? Is, That's very fair, yes. Is that okay? Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you, first off, you got into beer and why you wanted to, and then how did it go from job to job and opportunities open or close as you went on? Yeah. Obviously, we could just read your LinkedIn, but uh, while you're that's, here. That's less fun. <laughs> And really, it doesn't have the full story. Um, <laughs> so I was, I guess it kind of started on beer Twitter probably about 10 years ago where I started talking to people about what I was drinking and what they were drinking. And so I sort of met some other people and they used to have the Australian Beer Writers Guild. And we used to meet at the Tap House and I don't know, there may be like eight people. And I'm pretty sure that we never actually accomplished anything at that point, but 
we drank some really good beers and I met some fun people. So through that, I met all these people. Meanwhile, always tweeting about beer. And I was working for this digital marketing company and to be honest, they were kind of a little bit sketchy. And I saw that they were kind of picking up doing social media for some breweries and I was like, I could do this. I could do a better job and be way more cost effective. So I remember I asked James Smith, so the Crafty Pine, and I was like, um, what do you, what, do you think I could like make, make money doing this? And he was like, yeah, actually I really need somebody to help out with Good Beer Week. And I was like, okay, cool. And quit my job the next day. And I really didn't love that job. <laughs> so I, uh, if you hadn't got that offer, for good be a week how long would you have stayed in that job probably two more days <laughs> <laughs> uh, at that point I was already kind of like taking days off to go to beer events and it was it was already kind of going that way so I started doing like running social media and doing community management for like breweries and bars and festivals so I was doing good beer week and Hendo, who was at Southern Bay at the time, so Hendo, who now has a consulting business, and he was like, hey, we need somebody to help out Southern Bay, so at this point, I was like, cool, I've got things rolling, but really, it was, Good Beer Week was a lot of work at that time, because it was a very small team, so did that for a few years, always kind of just picking up enough other jobs to kind of get by, and working in hospitality, and then I remember saying something, I think... It was on Twitter still, where I was like, when do I get to open my own bar? And Chris from Slow Beer was like, are you serious? And I was like, sure, why not? And so we decided to open a bar. So we opened Two Row on Smith Street in Fitzroy. So it was like a full craft beer bar that we turned an old clothing shop into a bar. And we ran that for about two and a half years. And then I left, and it's now Slow Beer on Smith Street. So kind of looks pretty similar it just has a lot more shelves in it and I have some of my old regulars and people I met through two row are even here today which is kind of cool then I, well, I took a few months off and learned how to make donuts uh, which was actually really fun is that on your LinkedIn <laughs> no it's, okay. it, it's not but it not just mostly because it's not relevant but it was pretty fun um I made some pizza and moondog for a little while too a little bit of everything um then I started working with CUB as a craft beer ambassador, which was a wild role where we like built an education program teaching the sales team and customers about beer and worked with Goose Island and kind of got to work with heaps of ABI breweries and really just like making teaching people about beer my career. And I was like, okay, this is maybe what I'm good at. And so I did that for a little while and then was approached to work with Rape Beer. So at the time, Rape Beer had been purchased by AB InBev and they moved the head office for Rape Beer to Melbourne. So I was marketing manager for Rape Beer, which was crazy because I was the first marketing manager for Rape Beer and it was like 19 years in. It's been around for a long time. And then with the sale of... CUB to Asahi, Rape Beer is moving to Europe. I took my redundancy and then started freelancing, did some work with Kegstar, did some work with, at the time it was Founders First, and then I've been working with Founders First, which is now Mighty Craft for the last 
eight months, which is, to be honest, flown by. So. And you're a certified Cicerone. Yes, certified Cicerone, which I did. It was a first week at CUB. I took my certified Cicerone exam. So I was in my induction going through flashcards, learning, and I was like, remember having to go to my boss, and I was like, right, so I'm taking this exam. And he was like, that's fine. It's your job to pass that exam. And I was like, oh, sweet. And then the next day I left to go to Chicago to Goose Island. So it was a crazy first week. And we also have another certified Cicerone in the room, Lindsay, uh, who was a previous guest on the show. Please do listen to that episode. It's good. It is a good one. <laughs> Lots of snacks. <laughs> um, let's get started with your beer journey. We'll right. revisit some of those things in a moment. Um, but they come through one. in the beers I chose. Cause yeah, excellent. Well, let's go for choice. Does everybody know what a Cicerone is as well? I explain it as like a sommelier, but for beer. So it's the best representation of it I can come up with. There's four levels. So level one is called beer server. Level two is certified Cicerone. There's a big jump between those two levels. And then advanced Cicerone and master Cicerone. We have only one advanced Cicerone in all of Australia, and there's only 17 master Cicerones in the whole world. So pretty good it's pretty involved isn't it in, yeah. in terms of uh it's not just being able to pick uh, a pale ale from a pilsner it's about water chemistry and about uh serving beer the way you yep. should pour it the way you should keep a tap system um and it's, to yeah. two degree cleaning glasses and all yep. of those really really involve things that as a everyday consumer you might not even give a second thought to but um it has it spoiled beer for you in any way? Because, you know, there's still quite a lot of bad beer out there. So do, do oh. you go into a venue and you, you can pick holes much more easily as a Definitely. Cicerone? It definitely ruins drinking beer. Even the other night, Lindsay and I opened a beer and Lindsay was like, mm-mm, smells like DMS, I can't drink it. And I was like, I've had enough beers that I'm going to keep drinking this, but quite often, <laughs> <laughs> quite often I'll drink a beer. And like for me, acetaldehyde is like the one thing I like, once I get it, I'm like, I can't finish this beer. It just ruins it for me, which is something that never would have bothered me before I learned. Yeah. And has it, it, is it written up some venues for you as well? Is some, just thousand some ven- percent, yes. <laughs> I have a local pub and I love the pub, but their lines are so dirty that I cannot go there anymore because I just, I always return the beer that I order off tap and then I feel like such a jerk, so I stopped going there. Do you, is it like you watching all the other patrons in that venue thinking, shall I save them from themselves? No, I, is no. It, is it like, it is you like genuinely a great pub. They just really need to clean their lines. Okay, so great pub, terrible beer. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Sounds. <laughs> you, we, we can swap details afterwards so we can find out where that is. Um, all right, choice one. The first beer on my list is kind of two beers from the same brewery because I couldn't pick one. Um, <laughs> I think that's the first cocktail we've had on Chosen Brew. Two beers mixed together. Not mixed together, but actually they'd probably be all right mixed together. Um, right, so where I grew up, there's this brew pub called Brew Works, and... I used to always drink this blueberry wheat beer called Blueberry Belch. And I just thought that just like every other American that you have interviewed on this podcast, a wheat beer is always the first choice. And I thought, well, that's usually my first choice on one of these two. So it kind of makes sense. Like it was where I discovered that there was a style of beer that I enjoyed drinking. And so for me, that's one that's always stuck out. 
so Brewworks and Bethlehem PA, which they used to be called Bethlehem, Bethlehem Brewworks until they started expanding. Um, but they also have a Christmas beer called Rudolph that was like the first time like one of my best friends from high school, she and I like went out of our way to seek out this beer and then had like the best night ever drinking it and like it's 9% and sticky kind of sweet Christmassy ale and like everything's like floor is sticky but only during Rudolph season and because they used to have like a dance floor anyway even I was talking to my mom yesterday and she was sitting at home drinking it on the couch and so for me it's kind of kind of somewhere between their blueberry belch and the Rudolph Christmas ale from Brewworks where I grew up which is like it was always totally normal to go to your local brew pub to drink and then drink good beer not just drink uh, whatever's the cheapest um where did you grow up so i grew up about an hour north of philadelphia and also went to college about an hour north of philadelphia so with in like weyerbacher and victory and yingling territory one thing that's cropped up on this podcast before is the acceptance of um females drinking certain types of beers that jocelyn erickson from uh, Hop on Brewery Tours, when she was on the podcast, she said in, in the US where she grew up that there was no judgment about drinking, you know, dark beers, amber ales, whatever. There was no kind of differentiation. Whereas when she got to Australia, there was a lot of judgments. Definitely. So that's your experience too. Absolutely. And have you learned any reason why that is? It's interesting because I think where I grew up, like obviously going to college and everything where or university, they call it here. So drinking beer is just like a normal part of everyday life. Male, female, everybody drinks beer. It's just part of like college life. And so it's never a thing that anyone ever questions outside of that. I just think it's, I've never been questioned about it in America. And I remember here when I first started going out and drinking craft beer and I ordered Red Seal, which is this red IPA was out. And they also had like a barrel-aged barley wine. And I remember ordering it and the bartender was like, are you sure that's what you want? And I was like, this is when I used to like hashtag beer girl rage and I would just go off and be like, just because I'm a female, you can't question what I'm drinking. Like if I'm ordering that, you can't make that assumption. So yeah, definitely. I've definitely had that same experience where like you would order a dark beer and imperial stout a barley wine and they would you'd get questioned like are you sure are you sure are you sure you can handle that but um yeah i find it less and less now and it's rarer now that anybody would say anything do you think the australian culture compared with the u.s is more masculine or macho or do you think that the marketing of beer has lent more heavily on that macho image in Australia than elsewhere? Yeah. I think in America, they did a lot of advertising around using women to sell beer to men. Whereas here in Australia, I think they used masculinity to sell beer to men. Like, beer is a manly drink. You drink it when you worked hard and you've sweated and you... Like, that's how you earn your beer. And so it made it seem less acceptable for it to be a choice for women and so I think you know I think we've long discussed that you know big beer advertising in the 80s has truly changed beer culture in Australia yeah and I suppose there's all the 
systemic factors like segregation in bars and things in Australia in terms of male and female rooms and all that type of thing, which oh, probably yeah. doesn't play into um, all enjoying the same beverage. But um, <laughs> it's my boss. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so that first choice again predictably boring from you being a wheat beer yeah i mean why why and you know what they used to serve it in like american pint glass with like three blueberries dropped on the top and like but the thing wasn't just me we all ordered it but i think i maybe asked somebody once about it when i was drunk and i was like great so i i like wheat beers and then i would know that like if i was out and they had blue moon on top i could order that and i knew that i would enjoy it and still be like something that tastes better than well, I mean, I probably I drank a lot of Miller Lite in college, so it was it tasted better. Yeah, so great. Like wheat beer is such a wonderful style, but yeah. nobody can sell it in Australia. The thing is, there's actually a lot of wheat beer in Australia. Like the American wheat beers, the American wheat ale style, which isn't the same as a German Hefeweizen or a Belgian wheat beer. It's like a much more neutral yeast. It's got a, it's a little bready. It's a little fruity even sometimes like a touch tart actually that style we have a lot of it here but as soon as you call out wheat in the branding it's like it just kills it so we actually have a lot of american wheat ale styles in australia that are very popular it's just not called out as a wheat beer and from a marketing perspective that's purely because of health reasons diet i don't is, is wheat i actually like a, don't a understand what made wheat such a dirty word in Australian beer? I do not know the reason why. I just know that it's a thing. Is anybody in the room gluten-free? Are you okay with us talking about this? Sorry. Yeah. Everybody else here is, eating be- is drinking beer. Yeah, yeah, yes. But the thing is, it doesn't... Wheat is not what makes beer have gluten, so... It's an interesting thing. And even yeah. now, like, like, we talk about it, and all you have to do is call it literally anything else. A pale ale, a summer ale, a Pacific ale. Most of those beers have like a significant significant amount of wheat in the grist. So, but do you think we'll ever get to a point where wheat will come back? No. Into fashion? Never. It's, it's done. I think it's done. So sad. But it's but it's not. It's still the beers are here. It's just you can't call it out as a wheat beer and expect it to sell well. Okay. Because like. Genuinely, like a Stonewood Pacific Ale is an American wheat beer with like beautiful Australian hops in it. That beer is the same, basically very similar to what we all drank in America. The history of Australian beer would be very different if Pacific Ale was called Pacific Wheat. Yeah, beer. totally. Totally would be. Match. That'd be a parallel universe. Um, choice two. Well, these are all very timely. My second choice is Red Hill, Red Hill Christmas Ale, which is, for me, sort of like one of the things that sparked my discovery of beer in Australia, in Melbourne. So I remember it was the first time my mom came to visit me when I moved here, and we were driving out on the Mornington Peninsula. My stepdad was playing golf, so it was just my mom and I, and we... We're just like driving down the road and I was like, oh, look, there's a brewery up there. Pulled in, sat down, ordered like a tasting paddle and had the Scotch Ale and the Christmas Ale. And I was like, these beers are really good. And I remember talking to the bartender at the time and he was like, oh, 
women don't usually like these darker beers. And I was like, but he wasn't being, he wasn't in any way being offensive. He was just making the comment that like, oh, I'm really glad that you like these. And I remember we got some and I took some home and that was, to me was like the first time that I discovered that there were craft breweries in like here for me to discover outside of like Redback, which I was going out of my way to find from like my local whatever Dan Murphy's back then. But this was probably 12, 13 years ago. Does Redback exist anymore? It does actually. I was out at Matilda Bay last week and drank some. The recipe is different. They call themselves a wheat beer, yeah, though. Yeah, and they? I had a long discussion with the GM about it. We had a discussion about it. I was like, man, if you call this anything but a wheat beer, they would kill it. It's so good. Do you think the main problem is they call it after a deadly spider? Ah, I actually don't think that's the biggest problem. It was really tasty. I really enjoyed drinking it. So, Red Hill Christmas Ale has mm. a bit of a a place in the aging beers category people do buy some mm. and keep it away where, where have do you the kind vintages of, lined up yeah where do you kind of sit on aging beer and i think that there are beers that are appropriate to age and i think i personally think like unless you are going to be really organized about it don't go too crazy like hold on to them make them special but if you are going to get really serious about it like be organized have a spreadsheet so you don't let things sit in there for too long either because I know that I, at a point, like my boyfriend and I had moved and he then really saw the true extent of how many beers I was holding on to. And he was like, how old are some of these beers? And then I was looking at them and I was like, oh, yeah, a while. <laughs> had some like Rausch beer from like 2012. And he was like, just drink them. Did you? I did. Was it? it actually aged really well. <laughs> I didn't expect it to. Did you open it up and taste it and go, oh, too soon? Too soon? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. He was like, the best before on here is like 2012. And I was like, yeah, it's old. We all drink beer for a bit of fun. Once you start opening the Excel spreadsheets, then it might take the uh, fun out of it slightly. But um, choice. Okay, so choice three is Ninkasi's Angel, which was our first Pink Boots collaboration. So we, the very first collaboration, which was still under Women of Beer, was Hildegard's Beardegard, which we brewed at True South, which kind of no longer exists. And I remember just like standing on the outside kind of watching, being like, this is so cool. I want to work in beer so I can be like them one day. And like, I remember they put Pepperberry in and then the work kind of started turning purple and Jane and Sam were like, we can't make a purple beer. Anyway, I've still got one bottle of that left. But then the next year, after we'd formed Pink Boots properly and we did our first collaboration, which was at Matilda Bay when it was in Port Melbourne, so just down the street from where we are now, and we made Ninkasi's Angel. And I actually opened a bottle in May and it was delicious. It had totally gone sour, but I wasn't upset about it at all. Um, and it was like the first time, you know, we had a photographer and it was like covered by people. It was kind of, it was really, I look back on that day. It was like, that was kind of the first time I was in the industry, part of Pink Boots. And for me, like that beer is also something we made that was really delicious. Do you think that it serves a really useful purpose brewing a beer together? 
Yeah, it's something that we do every year. And now we tend to do collaborations for International Women's Day. So now we tend to brew in February and release on Women's Day or have a collaboration on Women's Day to be released later. And now also we've got like Yakima Chief Hops on board. So they've got the Hot Pro, the Pink Boots Blend Hop program going alongside all of this, which is actually how we raise most of our money for our scholarships is through these collaboration beers. So we actually are just pulling together our brews for, for 2021 because we encourage breweries to use the Pink Boots blend, but then we will support one collaboration in each state, which gives each state chapter a chance to sort of bring everyone together and there's women who don't work on the brewery like don't work on the brewery floor every day and they get a chance to be a little bit hands-on and learn about things and you know in Victoria last year we had one at Colonial but we tend to like to supplement with other things so we had Tina Panuzzo's come in and teach everybody about beer judging and we had you know we had a chat from the Yakima Chief team about the hot blend we were using so it's we try to make them as inclusive as possible, being able to include as many different members and also to like get a little hands-on with beer itself during the day. And so clearly education is a massive part of your brief and what you do. Um, talking of education, um, I think the, the probably as a... And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, women in the beer industry talk to each other or have online forums and things where they talk to each other about things that happen to them and their experiences as women in the beer industry, which I think would possibly shock a lot of people uh, who weren't exposed to that. Can you, um, obviously, where where your comfort levels lie, but there'd be a lot of people who listen to this podcast, and it's mostly men who listen to this podcast, which might well go into a craft beer venues right across Melbourne or Australia or uh, we know we've got international listeners but they go into a venue and it's fine because it's their environment it's where they belong and they feel like it belongs bye Lindsay (laughs) round of applause for Lindsay everyone (laughs) Uh, Lindsay's just left because she was bored Um, No, that's not what you left. <laughs> no, so um, I think there's a deficit there in, in knowledge for, you know, n- nice people who are just not affected by any yeah. discrimination or any issues, any problems. Go into a bar, get treated fine, go home, no problems. So yeah. they don't see any problems in their world. But obviously they're there and they often live under the surface. I think if people knew about those issues that they would be shocked and surprised and probably a little bit hurt or guilty that they weren't aware of it or didn't or or haven't been alert to those things um would you be comfortable sharing uh, you know maybe a couple of common um misdemeanors or things that happen yeah. uh, in in the industry that yeah. might be useful for people to be exposed to i think one thing that we talk about a lot is just being at the time and the place that we're in now is we're a lot more comfortable calling it out and also so you know if you don't say something it's really hard for somebody else to know that they did something wrong and so I know one thing from a personal level but also on a pink boots level is just 
saying if something happened that's uncomfortable, we encourage members, if they're not comfortable calling it out, to bring it to the board and we can then have that conversation, be it publicly or privately, and saying, hey, you did something that made somebody else feel uncomfortable based on their gender, their, you know, essentially based on being anything other than generally white or male. Um, and that's something that we encourage our members to call it out now. And if you're not comfortable calling it out, come to the board and we'll, you know, we'll work on a communications plan around being able to say something, usually privately first and saying, hey, something happened. I know even the other day a member said, you know, she's essentially the head brewer at a small brewery and the owner was taking somebody around and said, you know, meet so-and-so, she's the brewer here. And they like immediately turned around and they were like, oh, so you're an admin. And like, that's just, it's 2020 and this is still happening. Like that's still like the assumption, female in brewery, probably an admin or in marketing or in HR, but not having the awareness that like, don't make that assumption. Like you can't make that assumption about anybody unless they fall like unless they say something. And you know, it is something that we've made a point to let people know. Like recently somebody a brewery posted a picture on Instagram that was made others feel uncomfortable and a few of us reached out and said, "Hey, that's actually not the right thing to do." And to be fair, I think he he genuinely made a point to try and understand what he did wrong and so I you know that's the best way of going about it the worst thing that somebody can do is say but one other woman said this was okay or putting out some like I'm sorry this offended you kind of response to it instead of understanding what happened and how to make it better for next time like straight up we're at the end of 2020 none of it is acceptable anymore. It's not acceptable to not encourage, but even just not, you cannot accept or ignore racism or sexism in the industry anymore. It's just not, you can, it's not acceptable to ignore it. What's interesting for me is when there's a pile on on social media that a lot of the responses say, I can't understand why people are getting these snowflakes generally are getting um upset by this picture or this meme it's just a joke it's just a laugh and maybe if you take that one thing maybe that is a, a tiny drop and maybe that shouldn't offend or shouldn't upset or maybe it should just a little but the reality is is that one little post isn't just a post in isolation it's a backup of yeah. all of these systemic things and yeah. all of these problems that actually is is keeps on filling a bucket which needs to be emptied out and people need to realize that this isn't an isolated incident it might be a brewery who's messed up or done it in good faith or made a mistake but as you say that needs they really need to learn how to you know overcome it i think the scariest thing for me um in 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 the industry is kind of feeling that my unconscious because I know I I just because I grew up in this society I did I will have some unconscious bias there Mm -hmm. and I think that's the scary thing for me is does that unconscious come out in a negative way sometimes as long as you're open to essentially reading the room so like I mean I still work with guys who say dumb shit and I just will straight up be like no 
no, you cannot say that. And I know it's not, they're not, like, they say things and it's, you know, I hear men say things quite often and it's just like they just don't think about it, which is why I think it's important to say something. So just, if somebody says something to you, just take it on board. Don't, you don't have to defend it. You don't have to, you might just say, I'm sorry, and that's it. Or even ask for some further explanation, like, why did this offend? Um, but never, you know, just understand that what you said was offensive and take that on board and just know to do better next time. Like, we're all learning. There's certainly, we're all learning a lot of things. And I think as long as everybody continues to learn and continues to making, accepting different, but also encouraging equality across things is the best we can do at this point. Yeah, I think there's um, those low-level things that you must, any females who enjoy beer, I I probably would say almost 100% would have had, which is, oh, you like beer, you know, even though you stood at a beer festival. Uh, Oh, you'll like this beer because it's light and sour or so, you know. Oh, you'll like this. Um, Those type of low-level things, uh, they're still a problem. Yes, definitely. Like, how many times, like, Lindsay probably gets asked, she's a brewer in like a medium-sized brewery and like she still gets asked like do you drink beer like seriously it's it, it, it's obscene it? it's, yeah. it's crazy i know annabelle who we had on from uh from himmelhund uh maybe three four years ago now yeah um she had the same selling beer as a head brewer do yeah. you do you drink the beer then yeah you know, it's it, like i mean that's probably an intellectual deficit Perhaps. Like, what a dumb thing to ask. <laughs> How many times you get asked, like, do you even drink beer? Yeah, I work in the beer industry, and it's not abnormal just because I am a woman to like drinking beer. Is there anything proactively that people can do uh, to help this situation? Because it still is an issue. It's still going to happen. Uh, I, I feel that perhaps as well we might be doing quite well in urban Melbourne where we have lots of craft breweries. We're, we're kind of setting a culture and a standard um, of acceptance and belonging, but you don't have to drive too far away uh, to realize that perhaps those parameters change. Is there anything that we can do proactively in, in the craft beer community and particularly maybe the, what you'd ask for, for men to, to be doing to help this situation? I think the best I can say is just if you're even asking the question that's the right thing to do ask what ask a female around you what their experience is like just even just as a beer drinker ask them what their experience is like find out that what you'll quickly find is almost everybody has an experience or has a story to tell just listen to them and and learn not to do what they're telling you about like that's to me is the best thing is like if there's somebody other than you ask them what their experience is like i think that's the best thing we can do go out of your way to make space for somebody else i think that's one thing i've learned i don't know if anybody's followed the road to 100 cicerones for equality program in the u.s where um one woman essentially said i knew that i was using being a black female to my advantage and she was like i realized that what i needed to do was essentially create more bridges for more women to take up space and be noticed and so she has created a hundred scholarships for women of color to become Cicerone certified beer servers and so Lindsay and I have both volunteered to mentor them and 
it's definitely been like a really awesome experience just to go out and learn about other people's experiences but it also just makes you more aware of what else is going on yeah i think all of those things are are really positive and really important importance i shudder to think of the things that are discussed in um forums um i was gonna say bless you but you don't say bless you for a cough do you <laughs> oh um, forums are <laughs> the worst yeah like in in every aspect in terms of you know the social media pylons but then you know for for women in the beer industry talking to each other about their experiences i, I just i i think we need to be aware that everybody in the beer and every woman would have experienced something yes. which is remarkable really uh, and shows how widespread the issue is so um a really good advice to kind of talk talk to people but also just if you're a person who's asked that you don't don't feel just do something about it don't feel bad if you asked about well maybe feel a little bit bad if you asked the woman whether she would like a light beer at a beer festival or whether she you know likes beer or um whatever it is maybe feel a little bit bad call out your maids when you see them doing it too like it's okay to be like don't do that like what do they say if you see something say something like call out your mates it shouldn't just be females calling out men being like don't do that like I go out of my way to do it but there's some there's still some environments I won't do it in like I won't go onto beer thread and be like you guys can't say that but because I know that it's not necessarily a supported sentiment in that community but there's other online communities where I will definitely say something because I know that I'll be supported but I think that's where it's important for men to also say something to other men. Well, I hope the listeners of the Chosen Brew <laughs> Beer podcast will be supportive if Tiff starts firing off on online beer threads. <laughs> so knock yourself out, get political and uh, just post anything. Um, we'll get behind you, President. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Look, we'll take a pause uh, for a little break and refresh and stretch your legs, and we'll join uh, back uh, for the last three beers that changed everything. I think well, hopefully the last three won't change in the next few minutes. <laughs> Here's the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back for part two of the Chosen Brew live. It is the fourth birthday of the Chosen Brew. Who would have thought all these years? Now, we, we don't normally do this, Tiff, because we, we, we normally... Well, we don't normally do this because <laughs> this is the first time we record a podcast together. But we do have some questions in the room. I, I think we, we discussed a lot of hot topics that when we had a little break there... Lots of people carried on that conversation, which is always encouraging yes. that you're talking about something like which that. is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so they might have been talking about us, but they was talking about it. Um, 
So the question is from Stuart Dalgleish, uh, official photographer to the day. Can we give Stuart a round of applause for being an official photographer as well? Um, the question is from Stu is you mentioned before about your mom drinking uh, that blueberry wheat beer and drinking uh, the Rudolph beer uh, on the couch with a, with a, presumably a sticky floor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you floor at my mom's house, but yeah. What was the beer drinking environment at home? Was uh, we was your whole family into it, drinking it as a kid? What was? N- not really, no. Like I remember as a kid growing up, my dad always had like Irish red ales in the fridge. So I guess just in case you were, if you heard any knocks there, Ian <laughs> literally just knocked his pint into the mic on the way to his mouth. So professional. I've yes. had one pot today. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a, a fixation obsession, which is not the strongest of beers. And yeah. this is my second mouthful. It was well done. Um, yeah, so that, but I think probably more than any, like not really, I would say. And I would wasn't really like the kind of kid who got into drinking early. Like I didn't really drink until I was older. Um no, I would say if anything, like, my parents have always liked things that were good. So, like, I started, like, I knew I liked good wine, and I knew I didn't like cheap wine. And I don't know. I think I don't think I necessarily got it from them, but I certainly, like, even now, like, I send them beers that I think might taste good. And I'm like, can you drink that and just tell me if it's good? And I drag my parents around to a lot of breweries with me now uh tiff i'm very interested that you mentioned before that you flew to chicago now that that's not an achievement in itself but you did go to goose island which uh was bought out and is no longer independence but was a brewery that really uh made waves in the u.s and uh, became an iconic particularly the ipa became an iconic beer um they also run one of the biggest barrel projects in the world is that correct at the moment i think it's the second biggest wow tell us about those beers because i certainly did have a taste of i think lolita yes one of that yeah which was splendid this is a great segue because one of the one of my beers in the next three was a goose island beer excellent so i can tell let's do it okay choice four excellent segue with uh zero prior knowledge uh so my choice four was goose island sophie um, because it's my desert island beer. It's a beer that I think I could drink every day for the rest of my life, even if it was the only beer I could drink. So for anybody who's never had it, it's a Saison that's partially barrel-aged on oak with a little bit of orange peel added to it. So it's like a little bit citrusy, zesty. It's got the white pepper note, but it's also like a touch tart. I love it. I think it's like, that's a beer I could drink every day. Um... So, as part of my role with ambas- as beer ambassador at CUB, it was like as they were launching Goose Island, because it was like I started with a lot of the ABI people that came to Australia to sort of bring CUB into ABI. And so, I literally, my first day, they were like, Can you go to Chicago next week? And I was like, Yes. Or, Seriously? Um, <laughs> of course. So, I flew to Chicago for two weeks and it was. The, it was just such a wild trip. So like I said before, I my first week at a new job, like my first corporate job ever, and I'd taken my sister on an exam, which is exhausting. And the next day I got on a plane, 
and flew to Chicago where my mom met me there because I had like two free days before I actually started doing work there and this freak snowstorm came through and like I live in Mel- I've lived here for like 14 years now I don't have snow gear so I was there with like sneakers and like a light jacket I had to go buy snow boots on my first day like it was just crazy um do you still have those snow boots you know what? I just left them back at home thinking I'll use them next year and not at that point realizing that it might be a while till I get back home again. Um, but they were pretty good. They were like Uggs and they were super warm and waterproof. Um, loved them. Just really don't need them here. Anyway, so I go to Chicago and they have this program and I don't know if they still run it, but it was called Goose You. It was like Goose You. And it was like a an intensive three-day program where you essentially learned everything about Goose Island. So you like, there was like a day where you meet all the brewers and you like do packaging and then a day in the barrel warehouse. And there was like six meals a day with like famous chefs teaching us about beer and food matching and like brunches. And it was just insane. Like tasting through all the bourbon county from like the fresh imperial stout through to like one month two month three month and then the full blended bourbon county and like and this was a job this yeah it was you you were being paid to do this paid to do this and it was and you left did you leave you left this job i mean eventually i took my redundancy to be fair okay yeah so it was like these three intense days like super intense and it was like i just remember being like Full and drunk for three days, but also, like, it was just incredible. And then, as part of my separate training to be, like, a Goose Island ambassador, I had another week and a half there where I spent a day in each department. So I spent a day in the brewery, a day in the barrel warehouse, a day with sales, a day in the bar, like, serving people. So, like, the idea was to learn everything about Goose Island and, like, my day in the barrel warehouse, I just remember I, like, rocked up. I couldn't figure out how to get in. I don't actually know if they told the head barrel brewer that I was actually coming. So I, like, rocked up, and he was like, well, I don't know. Do you want to just help them? So I spent the day, like, filling barrels with peaches and saison to make, like, just, he was like, I was like, oh, is that all right? He was like, what are you going to do, infect the beer? And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's fine. So I went and filled, bar- like, crazy. It was very cool. Um, so I have this like deep love for everything Goose Island because yes they were bought out by ABI in 2011 and like yes they're no longer independent but the people there are like really awesome people who really care about Goose Island and they really care about beer and so I think if you look outside of like yes they're owned by a big company there's still a lot of soul in a lot of those companies that are owned by ABI so like I know it. I probably sound like a huge sellout, and maybe I am, but I think you sometimes have to, like, yes, supporting independent is important, but also don't write off breweries just because they've sold out if there's still a lot of soul behind them. And how do we know if there's soul behind them? Because it's just, you can taste it. Like, is the beer still good? If you were to taste that beer without knowing who owned it, would, would you still enjoy that beer? And that's, to me, what it comes down to. I think certainly Goose Island seems to really stand out as what you know often the argument is that the the large uh, corporations they can kind of suck the life out of independent beer but the 
the other argument is to say that they have the resource to do things that the independent brewers could never dream of, like the Goose Island Barrel Project, yeah. which I, you know, would be it'd be a very bold move yeah. to do that. But they have the resource to do that, and that benefits uh, the wider industry yeah. through knowledge. Because those those people who work for Goose Island now in that barrel room, they will end up possibly in the independent sector yeah, or and elsewhere even, so and that knowledge will as part of that role so the it ended up being that the barrel brewer came out to australia for good beer week the next year and i set up a collaboration with boat rocker which basically i turned around and i asked matt and matt you know he has strong feelings about independence for sure but i was like hey i've got the barrel brewer from goose uncle may i can ask him any questions you want and he was like sure thing like let's do this and of course, like the logistics of a collaboration like that are never going to be easy to manage. But like that day we were there was awesome. And we tasted Ramjet and Bourbon County side by side and like talked about different barrels and how the processes work and how the blending works. And like that part of it was so cool to be able to say, you know, hey, man, I'm going to bring out the guy who's currently running the biggest barrel room in the world, has the biggest barrel aging program in the world. And being able to say, like, hey, can I bring them into your brewery and we'll, like, make a beer. It was a really cool thing that we got to do. And even later, you know, I had the QA for Goose Island who has a lot of experience with, you know, dealing with the actual chemistry of beer. And I knew that Jane from Two Birds would really appreciate that. And so we did a collaboration with Two Birds the next time they came out. Yeah, so that's a case in point of that um, money resource filtering through to an independent level. Uh, doesn't happen the day to day. Uh, obviously, a big part of the corporate thing is uh, a very well worn topic, which is tap contracts. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Where do you kind of sit on? So here's my thing with that, and it was the first like, out, the first thing somebody asked me like, you're going to be out there selling IPA cheaper than everyone else, and I was like are you kidding me? A Goose Island IPA keg is going to be one of the most expensive standard IPAs on the market. Like, that is one thing is that the big companies aren't coming in and undercutting craft breweries in terms of price. The tap contracts, like, I think... Can we just, lo- like, explain what a tap contract might typically look like for those people who aren't yeah. familiar? So a tap contract, and, like, I understand them but they're ever-changing so essentially you're like right I've got a pub or I'm opening a pub and that's really what these because there's not actually a lot of tap contracts out there any people aren't coming the big breweries aren't coming out with heaps of money anymore right there's just it's not there anymore so there's existing ones where they might have put you know a hundred thousand dollars down and then you're contracted to sell enough money where the big brewery is making that back so like right so it used to be i'm opening a pub i'm gonna essentially go in with cb or lion they're gonna give me what works out to be enough money to open a pub but my taps are beholden to them until i pay that back and that's what it comes down to there's probably a lot of pubs that wouldn't exist if they hadn't been doing that for so many years but the reality is there's not that money isn't really there anymore but also the profitability of it isn't really there anymore. So that's not really how it's going. So now the way it works is they'll say 50% of your taps and we will put, give you, you know, they'll give you a dollar rebate per liter. So $50 per keg 
that will go into an account for you to spend on your own marketing for your pub. So it's it is very it looks very different now. There's not that many places where they're necessarily outlaying the cash and then you have to pay it back like instead of coming from a bank um it seems to be also dependent on the variable size of venues as well if, if you're in a huge multiple venue like uh, the sb then that is uh there was no independent beers for sale last time i went there um, uh, really? Yeah. Because so, there used to be. There used to, uh, yeah, after, this is post-lockdown in Melbourne. Downstairs there. So that would probably come back to that full group, which is outside of just the SB. The full Sandhill Road group owes CUB a lot of money. So they would probably may have Allegedly. Taken... Do we need to put that in there? I don't know what they do. But in that venue, uh, <laughs> maybe it wasn't that specific venue that we're talking about maybe it was another iconic uh, melbourne music venue but i was in there on a saturday night this is after lockdown when it was really restricted seating and things mm. and was approached by a uh, a young woman uh asking me if i if she could buy cocaine from me i mean yeah, my reaction right. to that was have you seen me <laughs> <laughs> in case anybody's listening have you seen ian yeah look i do not look like a man who deals in cocaine what does a man who does that actually look like i don't I, know i don't know but i imagine that um this young person had probably partook in other recreational um facilities before approaching me <laughs> as a, a potential vendor for uh, more excitement and shenanigans um yeah so um yeah Back to top contracts. <laughs> I think, but like you get to like, I think what we're getting a point to now is you don't actually see that much of it anymore. So a place like this, right? We're in a place right now. We're in a pub. So we're in Port Melbourne right now. And they've got 12 taps. 11 of them are independent craft. And one of them is a Carlton draft tap. And I think like that is a good balance because you're not scaring people off by saying, I'm not going to have what you know what you're comfortable with but also anyone else who comes in is going to find something interesting and there's enough taps there where like you're not offended by one carlton draft tap as a craft beer drinker and also i'll be interested to get your view on uh perception so for example you go into a venue and it appears like there is choice or independence or mm. what to the average consumer because there'll be a bolter or there'll be yeah. Goose Island, or there'll well, be. Uh, think of what the CUB taps would look like now. You've got Pirate Life, Bolter, Pirate Life, Green Beacon, uh, Mountain Goat. I don't know, I'm, I'm not offended by that. If I'm in a pub where they're beholden to their CUB contract, at least there's something in there I want to drink. Yeah, uh, that's one side of it. But the other side is that people who want to buy independence and want to buy, um, you know, a, a local beer might not might be misled by the the marketing or the and look i'm not saying that that's not their responsibility to find out but if you're just making a split choice decision and you think oh well i'll support mountain goat because they're local when they 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 are local but they're also you know owned by a conglomerate so is is that problematic going forward that perhaps the the openness isn't there i know I suppose the, in, the independent seal is trying to help uh, that's a, a logo, not an animal. Uh, and that, that, that might help things, but do you think more education 
because uh, uh, clearly you've had a, a foot in both camps. You can see the benefits and the and the conflicts there. Uh, do you think there's is is there any responsibility from the bigger brands to say we we, we are actually no not local? We're no, not. I don't think so. Independence. I don't. I think if you as a consumer want to support independent, then know what's independent. It's not like you have to remember a hundred breweries that aren't independent. If you if you are actively supporting independent local businesses and you don't have any understanding of how the beer world works, like by all means just do a quick little Google and look it up. But I think I don't think it's on the breweries who've been bought to own that. I don't I don't think so. I think as long as they're still making good beer, that's on them. Just to still make good beer. Yeah, I think actually last year Bolter did actually make a bit of a play on it uh, before the vote uh, for the top 100 beers. And and I think a lot of people expected them to not do well because they announced it in December, which is essentially when everyone's voting. And you know what? I will say this. Bolter still makes great beer. And I'm not going to fault them for that. I'm not. I know that if I go up there, I can call Scotty and say, hey, I'm at Bolter and like, I was up there this year and the beer was great. The beer's awesome and that's partly because they did write into a contract to see if he couldn't touch any of what they did oh, for I five know. years. I totally a thousand <laughs> no, it's a thousand percent respect how Balter did their contract. Like yeah. it was I, essentially around like they need to continue refrigerated shipping like refrigerated transport of those beers, which completely changes the quality of the beer. So like I look at it from that point of view, I'm like, great. They've they've actually what they're doing will help all beer be better because they're standardizing refrigerated transport it's great this is good for everybody yeah and the real plus point is that you can go out into a regional town where there might have only previously been two or three taps and now you can go and get a can of bolter or a can of pirate life or something on tap which is at least a bit interesting and and exciting or coopers um so <laughs> that's a stretch we won't talk about cookies um <laughs> so um <laughs> it's a different story we'll do that off mic um it is a sunday after all uh, uh so choice five the mckellar mountain goat collaboration which was a very long time ago um it was probably the first collaboration beer and beer dinner that I can remember ever attending, ever. And it was this night at Mountain Goat, which was like just such an awesome experience. And it was kind of my first big beer event that I'd ever gone to. And coincidentally, actually, when I met my partner, was that night because he was the chef making the food for it but it was like this whole like how intimate was this that you got to meet the chef and strike up a relationship we actually didn't become friends until after that but it is actually the night i met him but like it was this whole like i don't know it was the whole like performance of like the food and the beer and everything was perfectly matched and like we met Mikkel was there although he was really grumpy because he was super jet lagged although as it turns out that's just the way he is but (laughs) I just like like this amazing dinner and amazing beers and then we went across the street and drank at the Royston until like three o'clock in the morning and I'm pretty sure I called in sick to work the next day 
because this was while I still had a real job. And the beer itself was something that was really, really good. It was like a pepperberry black IPA. So it was kind of like bringing in native Australian ingredients in a style that was popular at the time. And then I remember we opened one not that long ago, so it was very old, and it still tasted really good because we found them like at the back of the fridge at Rockwell when it was closing. And that's probably, to me, like one of the times when like it was just such the whole experience of like drinking beer and eating food that I will never forget. Although probably did forget the end of the night because we'd had a lot to drink. It's an amazing beer style as well. And uh, that is one that falls under the wheat category of breweries aren't calling black IPAs black IPAs anymore. They're calling them uh, dark and robust uh, hoppy <laughs> ales or something <laughs> like that. There's a lot of skating around this, uh, this dark hoppy ale it's like not cool to make a black IPA anymore. No, it's great beer style though. It is good. I yeah. So good. Love a black IPA. Yeah, onions and garlic on the back. Incredible. Yeah. Anyway, um, but if anyone's got any questions brewing as well, we'll we'll save them to the end. Just keep control of yourself. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're close to the end. Um, choice six. All right. So I had such a hard time breaking these down. I think. My choice sick, I'm calling Cascade Kentucky Peach. Sorry, just basically just because I couldn't choose one. So Cascade is a brewery in Portland, Oregon, and they're super well-known for their barrel-aged sours, but I also think, like, the best barrel-aged sours, which I'm calling it better than something like a Cantillon. I just think they're way punchier, very well-made, and pretty consistent on quality. But also, so the first time I really drank Cascade was we, I planned this whole thing in like two weeks where we, so Rapier does the Rapier Best every January. So they, there's a whole like voting thing and there's this huge algorithm that I will truly never understand. But so. Rapier is an app, isn't it? That people. Yeah. So it's a website that's been around for almost 21 years now. So it was like one of the first beer reviewing websites so wouldn't you love to meet some of the people who inputted oh i have the beers 21 years ago yeah you wouldn't go on holiday with them but i'm sure they're very interesting people so like I've, so joe tucker is like the guy who owned rape beer when he sold it and he came in to help the guys who started it like within the first year and like super great guy amazing stories to tell like just the history of rape beer is incredible so I essentially came in and my first Rape Your Best, I was like, well, we can't just put a web page up and not do anything for it. So I, in two weeks, planned a live Facebook event to announce the Rape Your Best Top 100 breweries of the year and flew to Portland and somehow managed to pull it off. I brought Alistair. Again, you were getting paid to do it. I mean, this is... <laughs> We, we this should be a different podcast. We should be soon. This should be jobs to envy the six best jobs. <laughs> James, everything. Getting flown to America to drink beer. It's quite. I would. I would buy a pair of snow boots to do that. That's great. <laughs> so. It, yeah. So we flew over and we somehow pulled together this live event of announcing the top one hundred breweries for the year and. I went, so I 
Alistair, who's based in Melbourne, and I've known him for as long, pretty sure he was at that McKellar Mountain Goat event with us that night. Like, I've known him for a very long time, and he's a videographer, and I could trust him that if I said, I just need this to be filmed and be live, and I just I felt comfortable with that. And so he went over with me, but he'd been to Portland before with um, Pete Mitchum, prof, and so he knew a whole bunch of people in Portland already. So after we filmed the rape your best we went out and went like we did uh, a whole bunch of breweries and we went to cascade and just like sitting there and they tapped the firkin that night so like you sit there and there's like they put like a sheet up so you don't get covered in beer and it was just this amazing experience of like meeting a whole bunch of really cool people at cascade met the brewer who then came out here not long after with his wife and so we had beers at beer mash with him but I was just sitting at Cascade and every single beer that they were pouring was just like completely solid, amazing sour beers. And I bought a whole bunch of bottles and brought them back with me and I've been aging them. And so even when lockdown started, my boyfriend and I made a spreadsheet of everything in our cellar (laughs) and made a point to drink a beer a day so we could drink our cellar down. And that was like one of the standouts of going through the cellar then again. And I've saved one more beer from that first trip to Cascade. I've got one bottle of the bubonic plague that I'll save for later. Topical. Fair. Maybe it was the year to open that bottle. I think so. But yeah, for me, so that's like for me, it's like a great part of that first trip going to Portland and being a part of rape beer, even if for a very short time, but also... Now, every time I see, like, the Cascade Blueberry Sour is one of my favorite beers. And in all of your experience, in all of this, have you got any sense uh, how far the Australian beer industry has come in the last few years? And particularly when you go to the U.S., is there any, uh, are Australian beers getting any traction in the U.S. or any notoriety? Or is a, a people from the U.S. surprised when they get here of changes or quality what's been the takeaways i think for me one of the biggest things is that you know five six seven eight years ago when we would go out to a place and drink beer the majority of really great beers we had were imported beers and now when we go out the majority of great beers i have are australian beers and i think to me that's the big difference is we've completely filled the gap of needing to import you know ipas and pale ales and now we're just there's so many great beers here that we don't really need to import them anymore at least not to have exceptional outstanding beers that we want to talk about later and i think in terms of how the perspective is in america like i haven't lived there in a really long time so for me it's only just visiting but the biggest thing is actually the emergence of australian new zealand hops in american beers so that's actually what I think has put Australian beer on the map around the world is actually the the emergence of Australian hop varieties where you're actually seeing, like they're calling it out as like an Australian pale ale, a New Zealand pale ale, because they're using the hop varieties that were invented here and that are grown here. And it's starting to like, that's something people know. Like if you see galaxy hops, you're like, oh, that's an Australian hop. And it makes you think about the Australian beer industry Whereas it's probably not some, it's not, we don't export a whole lot of beer, especially not to America. We're certainly starting to export to Asian countries, which I think is amazing. 
and you know there's a lot of great breweries in in melbourne especially that are doing it right now which is super cool and i think when you look to america where they have such a mature strong craft beer scene what's put australia on the map is actually the hops yeah and i suppose you know there's definitely uh export going to the uk stone and wood have got a really strong um base there i think they're brewing out of thornbridge which is a uk brewery and even years ago little creatures uh, one of my friends went <laughs> bought a little creatures in edinburgh i think for three pound fifty a bottle when it was nine dollars <laughs> here it was cheaper to buy it in edinburgh <laughs> than it was here so <laughs> it, was, it was quite an experience um but yeah and it's good to hear that um australian brewing scene is getting some recognition as well um a receptacle and a snack to go with these six beers as well tiff and if anybody has any questions then please uh feel free to chip in yeah i just broke my favorite glass of all time it was uh just a standard spiegelau tulip glass but with my beer girl bites logo on it that somebody got for me for helping them a really long time ago and i broke it but that's pretty much the standard glass that I drink out of. I've got a whole lot of them, so that's like my standard drinking glass. But we've actually really been, because there's so many super fresh, amazing IPAs, and we've been getting them so, like, so fresh since lockdown started. So, like, you know, I live close to Fixation, and it's really easy to get, like, Banks beers. And so all of a sudden I drink a lot of IPAs at home so I've been actually drinking a lot out of the IPA glasses very nice mm. so would you that would be your yeah I think that's why because it's since my favorite glass broke and I'm really sad about it what would be a snack that you generally reach for cheese number one no has anybody got any questions uh, about anything um, that's right so Stu is asking about acid aldehyde which I said is the one thing once I taste it I can't drink the beer anymore so it's that sort of it's a green apple note it's not the only green apple note that can appear in beer but it's one that comes out as a beer warms up for sure and it is a brewing fault that has to do with oxygen introduced into the beer during fermentation and I will say I am not a brewer but it is I don't, I've been getting it so often in beers lately, and it's something that once I get it, like, once you breathe out, once you've swallowed it, it's so apparent, and then I'm like, I can't do this anymore, because it's all I taste the rest of the night. Isn't that interesting, those flaws mm. that you, once you can identify them, they, just it, they stand it. out and so... Di- I'm super sensitive to diacetyl, and it's okay to be to have diacetyl in some beers and i drink it and i'm like i can't do it even though i know it's okay for it to be there i was speaking to uh josie when she was working at the local tap house and uh she said she was at a beer event where all these newcomers to good beer uh and the, they were all going oh this beer tastes like butterscotch it's delicious <laughs> but it's one of those uh curiosities that that is a flaw <laughs> it is, yeah i mean there's it's like the house flavor at some breweries and like people really like it i also had a roommate once who was blind to it and i was so jealous of her yeah that's good it's like people you know who can't smell you like think oh what a winner no, <laughs> like oh but that would totally ruin taste yeah but it also, you know, you haven't met some of my <laughs> friends. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty hot in here. Um, Tiff, it's been a wonderful beer journey. Thank you for spending uh, the fourth birthday of the Chosen Brew Beer podcast. Who thought we'd come this far together? Uh, 
we, we've done a great job. Thanks, everybody, as well, who attended today. It's lovely to see your faces. We didn't expect that we'd be here, so um, well done, everybody. Um, we are going to go downstairs, possibly in an air-conditioned mm, um, place great. or outside where there might be a bit of a breeze. It's still 29 degrees out. 29 degrees. Wow. <laughs> a lot of hotter. So, um, and I, I have, as a celebration, I have party bags for you all so we can uh, party on and hopefully all the chocolate has been put. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. So that was it. Tiffany Waldron, President, Madame President of Pink Boots Society Australia, as well as many other things. We didn't really talk about Tiff's uh, main job at the moment, but look, we also didn't talk about the long list of beers that didn't quite make the list. Maybe we'll get Tiff on again uh, just to talk about those that didn't quite make the list and also about her current job as well. But just such an enjoyable person to talk beer with and to hang around for an afternoon in the sunshine. Thanks as well for those of you who made it to the Prince Alfred in Port Melbourne cracking pub uh, thanks to the Prince Alfred for making it possible. Giving us use of the boardroom upstairs was very generous and I'm sure we'll have some beer events there in the future. Now, there is some very exciting news to come. So if you're not on the mailing list, just go to the Chosen Brew website. It's thechosenbrewau.com or click on the link in the show notes. Sign up to the Chosen Brews newsletter and you will be amongst the first to find out of some seismic changes in the media landscape. I don't want to build up too much. It's probably... It's probably it's not. <laughs> it would be funny if, uh, if we announced that uh, News Corp has taken over the Chosen Brew. No, that would never happen. There's not enough money to buy Rupert. And we'll also be going on some road trips as well in the next few months uh, with Have A Beer Guest a Year from the Beer Together channel on YouTube. We did our live show at the Catfish in Fitzroy, which was so much fun um, doing it live in front of real people. Uh, that was really nice. So we'll have lots of uh, fun events coming up. If you want to be the first to know and be in the loop, do sign up to the newsletter at thechosenbrewau.com. Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you tell your friends about it. Leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. We did have a very nice review. Thanks, Jay, for the five-star review. Um, it's great. He said it's funny, real, educational, insightful, and now he's addicted. Look, I, I, I can't prescribe any medicine for, for being addicted to a podcast. Uh it's a good job it's only monthly let's put it that way uh but there is a big back catalogue to go for and talking of uh back catalogues as well there is another podcast i do called the wheel of sport which is a fantastic deep dive into uh stories from the sporting world uh which are roughly about 30 minutes long so it's just a really good bite-sized thing to learn a lot about a topic or a situation that you 
didn't know much about or maybe you hadn't heard of um, but also if you have heard of it it's kind of nostalgic as well to look back or to get a different insight on a particular sporting event that's happened which I make with my good friend Matt Lavery Matt Lavery so thank you uh, Stuart Dalgleish as well who took some pictures which I'll put up online from the live episode uh, when we released that and thanks again to Tiff Waldron and Lindsay for coming along as well as all the other wonderful people who were in the room. Um, I will catch up with a beer for, with you all soon, I hope, and also catch up with you for a beer soon. If you keep uh, tabs on what's going on online through Facebook, Instagram, or through the mailing list, really look forward to speaking with you next time. And take care, keep washing your hands, and I'll speak to you soon. <laughs>